Welcome, church. Uh, good morning. My name is Mark Hovland. I'm an elder here and serve at the elders at the Hollows Church. As most of you know, Andrew is um, and his family are on a well-deserved sabbatical, and some of us from the congregation have the privilege to preach through God's Word this summer. I truly have been. Uh, challenged and enjoyed and appreciated all the time and effort that the other men have put in. And I was grateful when Jeff called me and asked if I would be willing to be one of them. I love hearing the Word of God preached from the pulpit. Sunday morning is truly one of my favorite times of the week. And throughout the week, I'm listening to other pastors preach to His glory. Preaching has been so formative in my life, and it is an honor for me to be able to dive into God's Word with you today. Now, most of you know I'm an architect, and as I was thinking about my sermon, I knew that most of you would probably be disappointed if we didn't learn about architecture today as well. So we start with an important lesson that I learned from architecture school at the University of Arizona. Professor Bill Stam was one of my teachers, warned me of the common pitfalls of when you get to design your first building. You have spent years going to school, studying, learning, and storing away all the gems of what a great building could be. You want to fit them all in as this would be your one and only chance to design and construct a building that will have your name associated with it for as long as it stands. And if you do, this is what your building may look like. Or this. Or this. And what you realize too late is that all your greatest ideas put together don't make for a great building. But what you really want to do is take one or two good ideas and develop them so the building has a clear concept, style, and organization. That you design a building that accomplishes the needs set out to meet, it fits with its context of the site, and the design concept is expressed clearly when completed. But this takes restraint, diligence, and time. The project will be more successful if you can find the essence of what the building wants to be. And yes, even if your wife makes fun of you because you ask where does a sink want to be, buildings do have emotions, feelings, and personalities. They can tell you what they want to be. So you talk about them like they are a person. Here are some successful architecture projects that did exactly this. Frank Lloyd Wright's Falling Water, I'd put one so everyone would know an architect. Uh, Louis Kahn Sulk Institute in San Diego. It's a beautiful example of a clear picture pointing towards the sunset. And Peter Zumpther's St. Benedict Chapel in Switzerland. I dragged Jesse to this building when we were in Switzerland. I thought it was worth the extra train ride and an hour walk up the side of the Swiss Alps. You'll have to ask Jesse if she thought it was worth it as well. So over 20 years later, this advice still resonates with me. Distill your thoughts and come up with a clear, big idea. When Andrew gave us insight onto preparing and delivering a sermon, he had very similar advice. Now, I've been attending church and listening to sermons since I was four years old and have probably listened to more than a thousand. When I was praying what to preach about, I kept hearing all these wonderful things that I wanted to share with you. So I'll give you a few nuggets of some of the things that I have learned over the past few months, and then move on to what I have prepared. 
These nuggets were so good that I had to share some of them. Our walk with God is hard. He does not promise an easy life. Another one is, obedience is hard, but disobedience is devastating. Uh, Be aggressive against the problem, not against the person. When a sin, habit, or conversation, what sin, habit, or conversation are you putting off? We cannot live our lives like there is more time. God loves you right now, not the future, more put-together person you plan to be. And lastly, follow Jesus without looking back. He is worth giving up everything for. And so I couldn't put all those in one sermon, but I thought I'd share them anyways, because I thought they were great. Uh, okay, now to the sermon at hand. This is what I'm going to walk us through today. The big idea. The Lord is good. His faithful love endures forever. He is worthy of our worship. I'm going to lead us in prayer as we start. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to be up here to preach through your word. Please allow the Spirit to work through me, and that each and every one of us would hear from you and be encouraged. Amen. I'm going to have you all stand with me and read the passage. Stand for God's word. Um, Today we're going to be going through Psalm 100, 1 through 5. All right. Let the whole earth, you guys get to say with me, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and courts with praise. Give thanks to him. And bless his name. For the Lord is good, and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. All right, thank you. God bless the reading of this word, and you may be seated. The Lord is good, his faithful love endures forever. He is worthy of our worship. Today we're going to walk through three things that the psalmist teaches us. Who is the Lord? And why is he worthy? Who should praise the Lord? And what should our response be? As we look into the passage, we get insight on who the Lord is and why he is worthy. Psalms 103 says, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So why is the word worthy? One reason, he made us. Psalms 139, 13-16 says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All the days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. When an architect creates a building, they should know everything about it, where it's located, what its function will be, and who will be using it. They design it to serve a purpose. A home is to be a shelter and serve a family. A hospital is to provide care for its patients. A fire station is to out, built to house fire trucks and firemen so they can do their job. And the list is endless. The creator of the heavens and the earth knitted us together in our mother's womb. 
He made us well, and he made us wonderful. He did not make any mistakes. We are created so that we may accomplish the good works that he prepared for us. Some, some of us are good at computers, good with kids, good at art, love to run, love to read, love to study, love to be around people. Our natural leaders, our introverts, are loud or are quiet. It should give us great confidence in who we are because the Lord created us, and we are not an accident or created by chance, but all our days were planned before a, before a single one of them began. He made us, and because of that, is worthy of our worship. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. If you do not take care of a building, it will deteriorate and eventually crumble. A building needs to be maintained and taken care of. The filters need to be replaced. The pipes need to be cleaned. The floors need to be washed, and the gutters need to be cleared of debris, and it goes on. Taking care of a building is not simple, but it takes planning, time, and investment. The Lord is invested in us. He does not take our lives lightly. He is not in heaven, standing back and hoping for the best. He loves and cares for us. He is pruning us, guiding us down the right path, and protecting us. He is working all things together for our good. We are his sheep, and he is our shepherd. He is worthy of our worship. Psalm 105, for the Lord is good, and his faithful love endures forever, his faithfulness through all generations. Matthew 7:11 says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? For a long time, I was praying how to lead my family well, especially about leading them in worship, through reading the Bible, prayer, and singing, and deepening their relationship for a foundation with Christ. I was unable to find someone to show me the ropes of a faithful at-home worship was, but I kept praying knowing the Lord is good. While my family was traveling around the country for nine months, a story for another time, we were staying at a timeshare in Williamsburg. Our family of seven met a family of eight at a bingo event, and we were immediately drawn together. We were kindreds of a kind, of one kind, and Robert was the father, and he was a passionate about family worship. And here we are, we met him for the first time ever, and he said, well, let me come over to your timeshare tonight and teach and, and lead family worship with our families. And so we did that, we came and we read and we sang and we prayed together. And the next night he said, how about I come over again, and this time you lead. And so we did the same thing, and I led uh, in scripture and singing and praying with our family. And so here we are in a timeshare in the middle of Williamsburg, and God is providing what I needed. And so Robert and his family said, why don't you come down to Raleigh, and we can stay together as a family, you can see how we live and do day-to-day -day life. And this sounded great, but we had plans, we had places to go, but God knew we, we needed to be at his house, so he, he canceled those plans for us. And he said, you're going to Robert's house. So we called up Robert and said, well, we do need a place to stay. And he said, well, come on down. So we got to spend three days with Robert and his family, and God taught me how to lead my family in worship. 
uh, in unexpected ways. And we started or did a tradition or a habit on that trip. And to this day, three years later, we're still doing family worship at our home, reading the Bible, praying, and singing together. Meeting Robert answered my prayer about learning family worship from someone who was great and passionate about family worship. I now feel like I have a plan to lead my family. The Lord is good. He is worthy of our worship. His faithful love endures forever through all generations. One of my favorite verses about God's goodness, love, and grace towards us is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I'm going to read through verses 4 through 9 for us. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we are dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one may boast. God is faithful to love us. This is not something that we have earned. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us has earned a place in heaven. The text says that we cannot even boast in our own faith, because even this is a grace given to us. How amazing is this love? If we are honest with ourselves, this grace is too radical for us. We love justice. We want to see the crime punished. We want to make sure that we get our rightful place in line. We want to be rightfully promoted for the time and energy we put in. We want the offenses of others to be brought to justice. We even want to make sure the cookies are all even, evenly distributed. But even more than justice, we love grace for ourselves. We want to be forgiven if we committed the crime. We want to be first in line. We want to be promoted above others. We want to be forgiven when we offend others. And most of all, we want more cookies. But seriously, this is why the love of Christ is so scandalous to the world. Christ died for our sins, our crimes, so that we don't get what we deserve, everlasting life with God the Father, an eternity in his presence. And Christ took what we deserved on the cross. He took the punishment for our sins. Ultimately, we get what we do not deserve. We get unmerited grace and love from Christ. We are all in need of God's good, faithful love. He is worthy of our worship. Now we move, found some ways about why, who God is, and why he is worthy. And now we're going to go through the passages to see who should praise the Lord. In the first verse, Psalms 100, it says, Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Psalms 156 says, Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. There is no mincing words here. There is one God and only one God. And everything that have breath should be praising him. It does not matter where you are born, what color skin you have, what language you speak, what clothes you wear, or what job you have, or what education you got, or how much money you have. If you breathe, and that's everyone here today, you should be praising the Lord. He is worthy of worship from the whole earth. Psalms 103, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. As we talked earlier about 
who call, uh, as we talked earlier, we, we who call upon the Lord are his people, his sheep. He created us, knows us, loves us, and cares for us. He is worthy of worship from his people, his sheep. Now, what should our response be as the people who are called to worship, worship the Lord? Worship the one who made us. Worship our shepherd. Worship the one who is good. Worship the one whose faithful love endures forever. This was really the most difficult part of the sermon to, for me to write. I started by writing all the ways we could and should worship him, but it didn't feel right. It seemed like a response, a give and take response. If he does this, then we do that, a transaction. For sure there is some of that, but as I listened to others and prayed more about the question, the question became, does God need our worship? Acts 17, 24 through 25, I'm sneaking this one in without a slide. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He does not need our worship. Even in our worship of him, he is doing something in us. In light of this, I'm going to be read our passage again and emphasize our response to the Lord so we can discuss how we respond to the Lord how and how in only a way that God can do, he builds us up. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Now we've all been to a new restaurant before. Recently, Jesse and I went to a restaurant called The Bine in Bothell. And I love greasy food, so this was exactly the type of place I'd love to be. Our favorite dish was Brussels sprouts cooked with honey sriracha, cumin, and cilantro, and all pan-fried. We then had a burger, and, we, and beyond, um, against our better judgment, we ended with a monster cookie, a large, fresh-baked chocolate chip cookie, slightly undercooked, with vanilla ice cream and Nutella drizzled on it. This was something we had to share with others. And we did. We shared it with others, and we got feedback when they went that they loved it, too. It brought us such joy to share something we enjoyed with others so they could enjoy it as well. I think you can see where this is going. Matthew 10, 27 says, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Do we live this way? Are we shouting from the rooftops? What does it look like to shout triumphantly? When we are excited about something, what do we do? We don't mumble and keep it quiet. We shout it from the mountain types. We share it with the people we know and love, and even people we don't know. We share with all that we know. And in sharing what God has done in us, the hope that he gives us, we allow the Holy Spirit to work in others' lives through us by his grace. I know that I'm encouraged each week when I come and I hear what God is working in your lives, what God is teaching you, how God is sustaining you through difficulties, encouraging one another by letting what comes out of our mouths be like sweet honey. We should worship God by shouting triumphantly. Serve the Lord with gladness. 
In Mark 10, 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the great example of serving. The website Action for Happiness says, Scientific studies show that helping others contribute to our happiness in different ways. These include increasing our sense of meaning and satisfaction with life and, boasting in our, and boosting our self-confidence. It can reduce stress and help us feel calmer, too. People who volunteered regularly were found to be more hopeful and experience fewer symptoms of depression and anxiety and may even live longer. Even the world knows that serving others is for our good as much as it is for their good. This is why the Bible is so amazing. It already knows what scientific studies are going to find out before they happen. The Bible doesn't tell us to do good things just to check a box or to repay God for his goodness, but tells us how life works and the best way to live. We should worship God through service. Come before him with joyful songs. Rejoice in the Lord. Psalms 33, 1-3. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make music to him with a ten-string harp. Sing a new song to him. Singing, it is, it is for us. Not for God. It does give him glory, but he is not up in heaven saying, Did you hear Mark singing today? Wow, I am blown away at his voice. It really lifted me up and made me feel better about myself. No, God is working in us. He's trying to stir up a fire for him, to feel his presence, to bring to mind his word, to remind us of the goodness and how unending his love is. We've all been in worship and feel the spirit fill us and bring us closer to him. And through singing his praises, we get to be drawn closer to him. How amazing is that? I've been blessed by this passage because when I'm driving in the car, shopping at Costco, or on the bus, I love to listen to podcasts. Sermons, interviews, theology, history, probably too many sports ones, and whatever can be interesting. But being in this passage brought me back to a time before podcasts and remind me to listen to music that glorifies the Lord, that brings to mind his word, that ignites my heart for him, that allows me to come before him and sing joyful songs. Those songs say with me throughout the day. Some simple ways to bring joyful songs to your life is just to ask Alexa, play some Christian music or play some hymns. As you know, my wife, Jesse, loves worship through singing. So if you need any recommendation, Jesse has a list of bands that put scripture to music, ranging from hip-hop to congregational singing that she can share you. We should worship God through singing. Now we should acknowledge the Lord is God. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is an important passage that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Having a right and true view of God is crucial to our eternity. When we live a life that acknowledges that we are not God, but that he is, we are able to align our lives to what is good, right, and just. When we don't acknowledge that he is God, we begin to try and live our lives to make us happy, to gain the approvals of others, and to find comfort. We live for our glory and not his. Now, I live in a home with seven sinners, 
all of us at one time or another act like we are God and that the other six should be bowing down and meeting our needs. A voice inside of us says, I deserve this. I am worthy of this. They should do this for me. I can't believe someone would do that to me. And on and on it goes. In our, in our home, we call these the fiery darts of Satan. We pray that we would not allow the fiery darts to steal away our joy. If we truly acknowledge that the Lord is God and worship with them our lives by living like Jesus and sacrificing our lives for him and for others, we have a far greater chance of a fruitful, content, and joy-filled life, not depending on circumstances or others, but on the one who is Lord. We should worship him by acknowledging he is Lord. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. The Lord does not require that we should come to him when we are perfect or right in his eyes. God is not waiting for us to be right before we come to him. He wants us to come to him as where we are at, in our brokenness, in our sadness, in our grief, in our frustration, in our anger, in our joy, and in our happiness, wherever we are at. Come as you are with gratitude, ready to sing joyous praise or kneel and weep before him. Psalms 84, 1 through 2, the NIV says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. His dwelling place is open to all of us. It is somewhere that we can come without putting on a false self. Matt Chandler says, I realize I don't have anything to give him, that I am not yet what I want to be while celebrating by faith that he sees me differently than I see myself. Be confident in what the Bible says, that as you are, God wants you to enter his presence. It is a place for all who want to come and to be welcomed. We should worship by entering his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks and bless his name. One of the more important things my mom ever taught me was the importance of a good thank you note. Acknowledging the time and effort, I can't look at my wife, I'll start crying. Uh, my time and effort and love that went into someone giving you a present, letting you stay home, or making, letting you stay at their home or making a meal. The small act will let that person know that you appreciate all that they have done for you. It's big or small. How much more does God deserve our thanks? How endless are the things that we can thank him for. And as we thank him, we remember he created us, he chose us, he cares for us, and he is good towards us, and he faithfully loves us. The psalmist in, one, in 118.29 says it best, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For our own good, we shout triumphantly, serve with gladness, Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And give thanks to him and bless his name. The Lord is good. His faithful love endures forever. He is worthy of our worship. I encourage each and every one of you to come before the Lord this week. To acknowledge who he is and thank him for his goodness and faithful love for you. There is no one greater to serve to spend time with, and to shout their name from the rooftops.
There is no one who wants the best for you more than God. I'm going to end us in prayer, and we'll move into communion.